0: My dear brethren, we've just read the story of the transfiguration. Our Lord lets go of himself, as it were. He allows the brightness of his glory, his divine glory, to permeate and overwhelm, overflow onto his humanity, and he becomes as resplendent as the sun. And the apostles are very much... In awe, they're even overwhelmed with fear. And our Lord tells them, after such an exhilarating experience, to say nothing of what they have seen until the Son of Man be risen from the dead. We have here, in a nutshell, the enigma of our Lord and of his earthly career. The apostles, they are witnesses to that enigma, to that mystery, but they'll only understand it once they've received the Holy Ghost at Pentecost. The apostles were spellbound, riveted by what they saw. They have just lived an experience similar to the experiences St. Paul describes when he writes to the Corinthians. He says, I, I know this man, whether in body or apart from the body, I know not, God knows. This man who has caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things. So it's a mystical experience, a taste of. Ecstasy. So that's what the apostles have just been through. They've been overwhelmed with amazement and happiness at the sight of our Lord's divinity shining through his humanity. So they have just seen God, author of light and life. And in the midst of all of that, our Lord calmly and with authority speaks to them of silence, darkness, suffering, and death. It makes no sense. St. Peter is still calling for the construction of three dwellings. He wants to stay on Mount Tabor forever. And yet God, our Lord, instead of sharing in his happiness, speaks to him of death. And it's interesting to note how our Lord, how his mind is fixed on his mission, which was to die for us. He's the only man in human history who has been born with one specific mission, to die. The blessed in heaven, once they see God, they can never turn away. And that's what heaven is all about. Nobody can ever take away the beauty and delight of the beatific vision. And you can never be distracted from it. You're completely riveted to it. Here, on Mount Tabor, we have our Lord in his sacred humanity, tasting the delights of the beatific vision, of his own divinity. He has allowed the beauty and the power and the heat and the radiance and the glory and the happiness of his divinity to inundate and ravish his humanity. So he experiences in his humanity the delights of the divinity, as we will in in heaven, God willing. His humanity, therefore, is vibrating with emotion and and ecstasy, just like the spouse tasting for the first time the delights of the nuptial chamber. But he is focused on his redemptive mission and therefore he tears himself away from those delights, from that joy that ecstasy. He renounces the glory of Mount Table, the delights of Mount Table, and he chooses instead the humiliations of Mount Calvary. And we must be very clear that it took every bit of our Lord's strength of will of human will, to tear himself away from the joys of Mount Tabor, the joys of, of beatitude, of the beatific vision, and to turn his will to that state of utter abandonment that will make him cry, My God, why hast thou forsaken me? This is the drama that plays out in our Lord's life. He has to swap out Tabor for Calvary. And thus he can um, swap out for us Calvary for Mount Tabor. Now where does our Lord find the strength of will necessary to come down to descend Mount Tabor and to ascend Calvary in its place? What drives our Lord? To turn his face to the sufferings and trauma of the cross. So unbefitting for his humanity, which is hypostatically united to his divinity. A humanity that's already tasted the delights of the divinity. What drives him on, what pushes him forward? It is his love for us. St. Augustine, he has this great phrase, amor meus pondus mea. amus meus pondus meus. My weight, my love, my love is a weight. A weight that pulls me down and inclines me, says our Lord, towards the means which alone will allow me to adequately express my feelings towards mankind. Sinners though they may be. And what are those means? What is the best expression of love? There's no greater love than to give one's life for one's friends. Our Lord's love. That tears him away from Tabor. <clears throat> turns him to Calvary. It's such that. Only the gift of his life can sufficiently express it. Our Lord is God, and he possesses nothing more precious than himself, than his his life. The life that is the life of the Word, through whom all things came into being, says St. John. The life that's the source of, of life and light to every being. That life, our Lord sacrifices it. He gives it up without hesitation in the most atrocious and brutal circumstances. It is as if we, poor and simple creatures that we are, we have become the very purpose, the very reason for God's own life. It is as though God exists only for man and not for himself. It wasn't only to convince us of his love that Christ suffered. It was also to expiate and cancel out our sins. Uh, St. Paul will Tell the Colossians, he has forgiven you your offenses, blotting out the handwriting of the decree that was against us, fastening it to the cross. So through, our Lord suffered in order to pay off the debt of sin on our behalf. As he hangs on the cross, or since he has hung on upon the cross, God can accuse us no more of any sin, because we've paid the debt of sin in our Lord, as our Lord and Captain hung upon the cross. Now, it's not by chance that our Lord chose the cross as the means of our redemption, Because the cross expresses well the enigma of the man-God. And the enigma of, of our Lord's earthly career. You have the vertical beam shooting upwards towards heaven. That's life. And then you have the horizontal beam that cuts across and halts life's surge. In death. Life is cut off by death and that's the story of our Lord's life (coughs) cut off by death and it's the story of our own lives as well the cross represents the great enigma of life and death itself and this great enigma can only be solved life can only make sense if the figure of Christ is placed upon it. People who live godless lives, when they approach death, they murmur, what was it all about? What was it for? Nothing makes sense. The idea that we are born merely to live a few years and then to die, that does not make sense. But when... Christ is in the picture, Christ is part of the equation, Christ is placed upon the cross uh, that expresses the mystery of life and death, then things begin to make sense. This cross is no longer a sign of contradiction. It becomes a sign of hope because an expression of divine love. The crucifix is the expression of divine love, and that's why we like to have it hung in, in, in every room of our houses. So, my dear brethren, <clears throat> let's pray to Our Lady to love the cross as Christ loved his cross. He, 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 he turned his back on the joys and glory of Mount Table. To embrace the humiliations of Calvary. And we have to ask our Lady also that we love our cross as she loved hers. Because she she didn't have to give up her life. That would have been too easy. She had to give up something more precious um, the life of her, her, her very her very son. So may she help us to understand that the cross that we all must carry and all must bear, and upon which we all must be crucified at some point, that we understand that the cross is not the representation of death. It's the symbol of new life to come, new life of resurrection. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.